This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club. The Charcoal Book Club is the monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. Join the club by visiting charcoalbookclub.com and use the promo code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. Over the life of this podcast, we have profiled many photographers who have created personal projects about the relationships between parents and their children. Some have focused on the lives of their young children with them as parent, while others have been adults and have turned their lens on their elderly parents. All of these projects have resulted in work that's insightful, thought-provoking, and oftentimes beautiful. Carissa Dorson's work is even more intriguing because her project, Conversations with Dad, is a collaboration with her father. With each of them living at different ends of the country, Their dialogue has become a series of photographs that have passed back and forth between them over the last three years. Each one takes a look at the image sent by the other and basically riffs on some theme or idea that they see in that image, and then they send their response back. This back and forth has resulted in a dialogue that reveals more than even words might ever say. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you. It's good to see you again. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, good to see you. Yeah, I was uh, getting a, a familiar again with your work leading up to this conversation. So I remember the stuff that you showed at uh, LICP, which I really liked. And I think we talked a little bit about that. Yeah, we did. But I uh, really was piqued by the project that you were working with with your dad. Right. As soon as I read that, I was just like, oh, yeah, we got to talk. <laughs> You know, I've seen a lot of projects in which the photographer focuses on, 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 on a parent, but I've not seen something where there's like an interaction between mm-hmm. the two of you. So w- why don't you explain what the project is and how it sort of, why it ended up uh, manifesting itself? Sure. The project is called Conversations with Dad, and it's a book. It's becoming a book currently. And it's a visual conversation between me and my dad. He lives across the country in Maryland, and I'm here in Los Angeles. I just wanted a way to connect with him again, because it was hard to kind of stay in touch and connect after I moved away. And I just feel like he sees me as his little girl still, and I just was struggling to find a way to connect with him as an adult. We always loved doing activities together. And he really likes photography as well. He was always behind the camera just documenting things when I was growing up. And so I decided to try this visual conversation activity with him and asked if he would participate. And he was a bit reluctant. But basically, I sent him a photo and asked him to respond with one of his own photos uh, inspired by mine, whether it was visual or in the light or whatever the subject matter was of the photo. So he sent one back and we kept going and he kind of, it clicked and he was like, oh, this is really fun. And he started getting really creative with it as well. So we've been doing it for almost three years now. Yeah, it's great. I've, life, I've loved what I've seen so far. 
Thank you. You talk about in the in the Kickstarter video about always having sort of difficulty ha having him open up about his life and just being able to have like a conversation with him where it didn't revolve about the activities you guys were were doing. Right. Which is something I completely relate to. I always had difficulty just having a conversation with my dad. In fact, the last time that I was with him in person, I I tried to talk to him about that. You know, oh, yeah. in terms of not being able, wanting to talk with him more and, and just, you know, it didn't really sort of go anywhere. And then about a month later, he passed, a, he passed away. Oh. So I, when, I, when I read that, you know, uh, when I saw you talk about that, I completely got it. That right. for whatever reason, the parent is not, doesn't feel comfortable with just being open about events in their lives and how they feel. To talk about what your relationship was with your dad, what, before you started working on the on this project, because I think it's an important aspect for people to understand right. why this thing has such a, a life to it. My dad is very loving and and shows love. He he would show love when I was growing up pretty well, like in his own way. And like he would tuck me in every night, you know, going to bed up until college, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and and I think that has to do with like he he really doesn't like change and just always saw me as his little girl and didn't know how to relate to me otherwise. And I think I started subconsciously kind of protecting him from me growing up and becoming a woman. And, and I think that distanced myself a little bit. Like I, I would just be careful about what I, what I said to him and I don't know, just be embarrassed about him knowing things about my life. Not that I do crazy things or anything, but mm -hmm. yeah, I think it was just, hard to talk with him and he's really not a social person at all he's very much a homebody and just you know he lives alone and he likes it that way and so he's the kind of person where I would call him and say how are you and his answer is always okie doke uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> or he shrugs his shoulders if it's in person he just doesn't understand the purpose of that kind of you know that type of yeah. small talk so, yeah, that's basically the, the background. Did you have siblings or was, was it just you? Uh, yeah, I have a younger brother, three years younger than me. And is your his relationship with your dad very similar to yours? And I think it's a little bit different. I think maybe just him being a boy, like they relate to each other in different ways. And they have more in common than I, I have with my dad, I think. Uh, they're both super technical people. Um, my brother's a computer scientist. My dad was like a software engineer. And mm -hmm. so I think they have more to talk about with those things. Yeah, it might be a little bit easier for them to talk. But at the same time, it's kind of similar with them, too. So what was some of the initial photographs that you sent to your, to your dad? And how did he do it? And how did he respond? The very first photo I sent was just a simple photo of my kitchen sink with the window over it. And he responded by taking basically a selfie. He he took a snapshot of himself in the mirror with the bathroom sink. And so I responded with a similar photo uh, of me in a mirror. And I put like a fan underneath the mirror that was the shape of the sink. Mm -hmm that he used. And, and I think he, that's when he said, um, he realized like I incorporated every aspect of his photo in mine while still creating something very new. And his next photo like blew me away. It's basically a shadow of his head. It's hard to tell what it is when you look at it or how he did it, 
but it's a shadow of his head on a poster that has this pattern kind of like the fan in my previous photo. Yeah. I thought it was amazing. And that got us really excited. So you guys just started riffing back and forth based on the last picture that, right. that was sent. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. <laughs> it was so fun. you've been doing it for three years now? Yeah. I think we started early 2018. Wow. So what surprised you in terms of how your dad saw? Um, it caused me to remember how creative he is because I always thought of him as such a technical person. But then I would rem remember things that he did when I was a kid that were kind of playful and creative. And even the messages back and forth, which is also a thing that we I started incorporating into this book, he would say things that were really clever. Like there's one photo of he took, he took of a sandwich and he said, this photo proves that I can have my photo and eat it too or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think he's just really playful and that that surprised me there's one of the a really nice one where you took a picture where your your image is reflected three times and yeah. then he's and then he his picture is a picture of you at different stages of your of your development as right. a kid i thought that was a very sweet i don't know which one came first but i i was very touched by that oh thanks me too, <laughs> at the time. Yeah, those are, were just like school photographs that he had kept. And he has, he keeps everything. Like his house has, hasn't really changed in the last, you know, 20 years. And I think that's what initially inspired me to, to do a project about my dad. I actually kind of framed it originally as I was working on a personal project about my childhood home. And how it's mm -hmm. kind of remained the same constant, one constant in my life, because my dad doesn't like change. And whenever I went home, I would take photographs of of the home, whether it was just the wallpaper that was really old and just things that I took for granted before, but was noticing whenever I visited. Then uh, I was actually taking a class with uh, Aline Smithson at LACP. Yeah. And she helped me realize that the story was really about my relationship with my dad. Oh, yeah. Elaine is, is marvelous with things like that. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. C considering that your dad is photographing his, his, his own, you know, the space in which he lives, you probably were surprised by some of the images that he made because you're so familiar with it that you never looked at it in terms of a photograph. But he kind of revealed his space and his life in that way. Did you have some surprises with respect to that? Things that were familiar to you that all of a sudden you just saw in a whole new way just because your dad photographed it? Mm. Well, he took a picture of himself where the, where the camera was outside of the fence of our backyard. And he was on the inside kind of, you're seeing him through bars. And mm -hmm. I just thought that represented something really interesting. and my photo that I sent him was also kind of like bars of a window. And I think it's kind of said something about both of us being isolated on our own. And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, as far as the space, I don't know if I was ever that surprised. Um, he would venture out and take photos like in our neighborhood too. And I think that was like, he would go to my old elementary school and take photos at the playground there. And I think that was really cool for me to see because like he's still living you know, where I grew up and there have been some changes there that he'll photograph them. And I, and 
it's really cool and interesting to see them today. You, you mentioned that part of the project involves these emails that go back and forth between the two of you. Mm-hmm. Did you find that the emails allowed both of you to open up in a way that you couldn't when you're in person just talking to each other? Yeah, I think so. It gave us a little more time to think and space to ask questions. One thing that he would do is sometimes instead of taking a, a current photo, he would dig up an old photo uh, from the 70s when he was in the army. And so he would send me a photo and be like, oh, this is taken in Germany at an army base. And and so that would prompt me to ask a lot of questions. And I think um, he doesn't like to talk about himself very much, but when he can put it in an email and have a little more time to think about it, I think a little bit more comes out. Yeah, that's really kind of interesting. Putting it down on paper seems to provide um, and maybe that's sort of the distance that we need in order to be able to communicate. Maybe because, you know, you're, you're afraid of not being able to see it right, or just because it brings up a bunch of emotions, whatever it is. But, you know, putting it on paper provides just the right amount of distance sometimes to be able to open up, which I, I can imagine that you were kind of excited that, that there was a little crack in the door in which you could initiate some conversations. Did you find any, find out any sort of personal history you had that surprised you? Not not necessarily that you have to share with us, but did you gain some insight into into him as a result of the project? Yeah, I, I would always ask questions like, did you like it in the army? Did you miss home? And he, he likes to give kind of matter of fact answers. Like, no, I, I left the army. So I, I guess I didn't like it that much. <laughs> but um, okay. I think reading his stories about the photos he took were a little bit more interesting. Like he would talk about how beautiful it was there and, or he, he went on a long walk and a snowstorm came in and this photo was taken right after it all cleared up. And, and I really liked hearing just his observations of, of that time. Mm. You know, you've talked to yourself about how photography is a means for you to deal with your own anxiety. Yes. You know, and your own self-consciousness. And one of the other projects that you worked on was the the pictures of the stand-up, or not the stand-up, but, but people who are who are in comedy mm-hmm. uh, here in Southern California. And I thought that was really a wonderful project because it was just like, it wasn't pictures of these people being funny. It was just about these people being their sort of normal selves, being serious, as you sort of have titled the the project. And I thought that was really kind of interesting because a lot of people in the quotes that you have talk about their own anxiety. You know, those feelings of insecurity, isolation, often spared many of them to learn how to make other people laugh as a way of coping. Yeah. Were you, were you aware when you started the project that part of those feelings and those experiences were tied to your own when you started the project? Or were you just photographing people who you kind of knew who you said, hey, I, it would be kind of nice to photograph all these funny people that I know? Yeah, uh, it it was a little bit of both. The series is called Funny People Serious Photos. But when it started out, I was just interested in getting better at portraiture. And I did know a lot of funny people. And I was like, hey, they'd probably let me take their picture. But it also came out of curiosity because I, I wondered what their lives were like when they weren't on stage. And I know in my life, whenever I'm home alone by myself, that's kind of when I'm at my most anxious, mm-hmm. just when I'm with my own thoughts. And I really did wonder if, if they experienced the same thing. So I asked a lot of questions whenever I was with them, I would ask, 
what it was like when they were just home by themselves. And they, they were all like different kind of people. But I think in general, I knew that um, comedy does often come from a dark place. And that's why I, I just wanted them posing, like just being natural, not posing um, and not being a character the way they're used to being. And that's when, and I think that's really scary for a lot of them. And they were pretty uncomfortable in front of the camera, just being themselves. Later on, I decided to add the quotes actually. Um, at first it was just like them being themselves. Um, but I right. think the quotes add a whole other dim dimension where they talk about their fears and anxieties and how they were able to turn that into comedy. When, when did you realize that it was more than just you learning how to make better portraiture, that there was more substance to it? I feel like it was pretty early on, like after the first, like maybe five, 10 people. And I, I have over 60 of them now and hope to keep going with it too. So how did you connect with them? Was it, did you just like, after you photographed someone, did you say, who else do you know who I could photograph? Or did you already have a, just know a lot of people? Um, I knew a lot of people from uh, working in comedy. I work as a cinematographer and years ago, I was shooting a lot of sketch comedy. I still do that today. But um, at the time, I was working a lot for College Humor and Funny or Die. And I was also involved with improv comedy. I was taking classes at the Upright C Citizens Brigade Theater. And I was part of a digital team there uh, where we also shot more sketch comedy. Okay. So, yes, um, I think I was within that community and I would just reach out to people. Basically, if I had an email address of a comedian, I would reach out to them. <laughs> and sometimes I asked for, for someone to connect me, but often it was just my own connections. And that's why it's a lot of improvisers, because I mainly worked with improvisers, but we have um, some stand-up comedians in there, too. Yeah, I, I saw the, uh, the, the one you shot with Maria Banford. I'd seen that video a couple of years back. So it was a pleasant surprise to see that you were the cinematographer. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I love, love Maria. <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> so funny. I got to, uh, when she was recording uh, one of her albums about three years ago, I was in the audience for, for that. It was, I think it was at the Upright, Up, Up, Upright Citizens Brigade. Yeah, on, on Franklin, oh. where we got to see it. She, she's hilarious. Yeah. But um, you, like you said, you, you make your living as a cinematographer. That's what you went to school for. Um, so how does sort of photography, these photographic projects sort of fit in into your you know, professional life? I think doing photography really helped my cinematography because it allowed me to figure out my visual style just on my own without having to have a crew there and just figure out how to photograph light. I'm, I'm most inspired by light and I watch light all day, even in my own apartment. Like I love to see how light changes. And, and I, I think just doing photography on my own made me a better cinematographer. And it's also something that keeps me sane because there's not a lot of pressure with it. I'm not getting paid to do photography. And it's just something that I can use to tell my own stories rather than tell other, other people's stories, which I also love doing with cinematography. So when you're getting trained as a cinematographer, it's just as much about uh, learning how to control and manipulate light as it is what you're doing with the camera. Mm -hmm. So how was how, how is your how is the understanding of light when it comes to capturing, you know, motion different for you when it is when you're making stills? I honestly don't think it's that different. I think it's 
kind of the same thing. <laughs> so, so what different considerations do you have to make when when you're shooting stills as opposed to you know when you're shooting a, a video or a skit or a, or, or a show? Well, with still photography, like you, you can kind of be at any shutter speed you want if if you're talking technically, like. But with with cinematography, you're at a traditional like frame rate and traditional shutter speed most of the time, and and if you want to alter it, you'll use something like filters, and you have to be more aware of movement. And with motion on a cinema camera, you have to uh, worry about like light flickering. Uh, but obviously, you're not going to worry about something like that with still photography. I also love that you can kind of, uh, with still photographs, you can photograph at night if it's a long exposure. And there's a little bit more flexibility there. One of the, you mentioned earlier about paying attention to the light in your own, uh, in your own home. And you have that series that you did about this window yeah. that you photographed. I thought that was a wonderful uh, idea. Thank uh, you. Yeah, talk about that one. So it's a kind of a poem about how the window, the same window in my apartment looks different at every time of day. And I just photographed it at different incre increments in the day. And I honestly think it's it's so beautiful. And that's why I wanted to photograph my own window. And, and then I wrote a little bit, a little poem with it. And the words actually appear on the photographs. Yeah, it's pretty simple. There's not much more to it. I'd like to do more things like that, though. But, but it's as simple as it is. It's really beautiful. And it kind of just reveals that something that you can photograph that's worthy of a photograph could be anywhere, especially, you know, within your own living space. Mm -hmm. And that if you're just paying careful attention, you can see it in a completely different way. I have a s similar light that comes through my front door that hits a wall where we have a coat rack and a hat rack. And it's really fascinating during different times of the year to see how that light comes through that window of the door and just creates all these different patterns and colors on the wall. And uh, I thought of that immediately when I saw that photograph because different parts of my house produce different kinds of light throughout the different parts of the year. Right. And just because I've been living here for as long as I have, I know exactly where it's going to be and the effect it's going to create. And for me, that's quite there's a joy to be had even though I may not always leverage it for a photograph, just the fact that I can recognize it, see it, yeah, observe it that. has its own joy, uh, joy about it. Yeah. I think in my window poem, I, it's really about time and just being kind of being afraid of, of missing things. Like whenever I see something beautiful, I want to capture it and, and just like swallow it <laughs> up, uh, yeah. you know? And yeah, I think it's a little bit, being afraid of letting those things pass you by. The Chico Photo Review is typically a seven-day photo retreat at Chico Hot Springs Resort near Livingston, Montana. Hosted by our sponsor, the Charcoal Book Club, it exists to spark relationships between artists and industry professionals in an environment that fosters community and conversation. Due to the uncertainty for travel and gatherings in March, the 2021 Chico Review has been restructured into a two-week online masterclass and portfolio review. You can submit your work now for a chance to be one of 64 artists invited to participate with C. and Davey, Alejandra Cartagena, 
Tanya Franco-Klein, Ron Jude, Susan Lipper, Christian Patterson, and 20 other respected photo book publishers and contemporary photography institutions. Participating artists receive 10 formal reviews by speakers and reviewers over a two-week period and take part in artist lectures, panel discussions, and peer reviews. At the end of the event, one grand prize winner will be announced and their project will be published and distributed as a monograph by Charcoal Book Club. Additionally, this year, all participating attendees will have a selection of their work published and distributed in an opus catalog by the Charcoal Book Club. Entries to the 5th Annual Chico Hot Springs Portfolio Review and Publishing Prize are open until December 20th. For more information and to apply, visit ChicoReview.com. And thanks to the many of you who have chosen to support the Candid Frame financially this year. Your contributions have allowed us to produce the show on a weekly basis and meet all the costs of productions. If you've enjoyed this season but haven't contributed yet, it's not too late, and it's easy to do by becoming a Patreon supporter. You can do that by contributing $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Just $5 a month from you can make a big difference. Thank you as always for your support. The other project that you did was a series of portraits that were set in these, in these old uh, apartment buildings. That retained yeah. a lot of the sort of the style. And again, it was sort of spurred by this idea that you, you talked about earlier in terms of, you know, how when you are alone in your apartment, that that's the time when you get most anxious mm-hmm. and more preoccupied with your thoughts. And that, that sort of spurred this project, as you imagined, all these different women from different periods, you know, living in these spaces. Yeah. I, and I thought it was just a, a lovely way of being able to take a personal experience and interpreted in a way that resulted in work that was really distinctive, that was in some ways was self-portraiture, but it's not. Yeah, I agree. I think the the model in those photos is kind of a reflection of myself. And what I did was uh, it was actually, it came about because my previous apartment had this beautiful blue, like teal oven and just a kind of fifties looking kitchen. And I was like, I got to do a photo shoot in here. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, the, the model is a friend who just owns a lot of vintage clothing and my costume designer friend also helped out with it. And we all just have such an appreciation of that time. And I, I love that um, you come across so much architecture here that is from that time. So it was kind of a love letter to to like old Hollywood homes. And also I wanted to explore the anxiety that a woman at that time might have been experiencing in her home. And I, I got a, the, the, the set designing there, I was very impressed with because I was like going, man, this is a lot of cool stuff. You can't tell. I was wondering, is that what, is that what the way the apartment looks like now? <laughs> or Because some of those things in there, I was just like, oh, I remember those. Oh, I'm dating myself by admitting that, but <laughs> how, how did that co- sort of come about? Is that something you had to work towards make happen? Kind of. What I did was just find great locations. So we didn't add a ton of stuff. Um, there were some like props that we added um, that we already kind of collected or owned. But yeah, the first couple of photos were in my old apartment. And then after that, I uh, rented out spaces. Um, there's this old Hollywood home that 
I actually shot a short film in. And so I knew the the owner and, and he let me come in and do this photo shoot. And that's the one with the insane, amazing wallpaper. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. My God. Yeah. Yeah. The, the wallpaper in every single room was different and beautiful. And so that was so much fun. And then I did a 70s style version where I rented out a different spot. So these are places that kind of were meant to be like filmed in or, or whatever. So they had a lot of production design there already. Yeah, that wallpaper was awesome. I haven't seen that in a long, long time. I know. I'd love to wallpaper my own rooms like that. <laughs> it's interesting that uh, with those last two projects we talked about, that there's a different way of interacting with with people. As a cinematographer, I don't think you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you normally aren't interacting with the actors or the performers as much as the director is. Uh, but both the, both of these projects did involve you working directly with your subject, with the comedians, or it was more about, you know, getting them into a space where they're feeling comfortable, you know, so you could make a natural photograph, while with the model, you're more directing them. Yeah. Talk to me about the difference in that, in in both approaches and what you kind of learned that works for you with respect to doing the two different types of shoots. Yeah. With funny people, serious photos, I would just come in and, and sit on the couch with them and maybe have tea or something. And, um, and th- these, this was all in their homes, in the comedians' homes for the most part. So yeah, we would just chat and everyone was really nice. And um, if anything, like I just loved hanging out with these people. So the taking photographs was an excuse kind of to yeah. just get to know them. And then I would just sort kind of organically start snapping photos of them. And sometimes I would tell, tell them to look a certain w- direction, but I mainly took candid photos for funny people, serious photos. And then for the woman at home, like vintage style photo series, it was actually one model that we were, you know, she was dressing up and we had hair and makeup to kind of reflect the different eras we were doing. She's a, a really good, she, she's very photogenic and very kind of used to being in front of the camera. Um, so I didn't even have to do that much directing, but we did talk mm. about um, kind of the feeling I wanted to convey. And like the with the photograph of her just laying on the floor, she knew, I think she was in the right headspace for that. And it, she almost looks kind of bored in a lot of these photos, which I like, bored and slash introspective and some of them are anxious, but I did like ask her to do certain things. And sometimes I didn't have to tell her anything because she, she was, she would just like hit these poses that were amazing. So I kind of let her go. Getting back to the project with your, with your dad, when, when did you start thinking about, okay, I'm actually going to put this together into a book. I know that uh, Aline suggested that this was the actual project, but when did you start thinking about maybe I can put this together and, and what did you have to learn in order to sort of manifest this? Right. Um, well, I was taking classes with Aline for a good period during this time. And, and so I was show, showing these photos to my class and I think the immediate response was like this, you have to make a book out of this. You have to do this. And I was, and and I felt that it was really, um, people were relating to it and um, it was just really interesting for people to, to like just flip through these photos. And so it happened kind of naturally uh, as far as the idea to make the book. And then 
I ended up just making my own kind of version of the book through uh, blurb. And um, Sally Ann Field uh, helped me with that. She's She was one of my classmates at LACP, and she's a great graphic designer. So I put something together. The sequencing just does it. It's Sequencing is there already, so that was easy. And it was just a matter of um, finding our email messages to include with the photos and figure out how much was too much text and and how much was too little. I ended up making kind of a sample book that was a hardcover that looked pretty nice. And last year I went to the exposure reviews with that book and like showed it to people and it ended up getting a review in the, oh, they did a photo book competition with exposure as well. So it got into that competition. Douglas Stockdale ended up doing a review on it um, at the photo book journal. And um, I still was not attached to a publisher. So after that, I decided maybe I'll self-publish and just make more copies of these. But first, I wanted to submit to publishers and see if it was something that a publisher would be interested in. Because um, it is my first photo book, and I and I did want a little bit of guidance with the design. And just the credibility of having a publisher helps a lot as well. So then I started submitting to publishers that I liked and Kara Verlog responded that they wanted to make it a book. So that's how it came about. Yeah. I love the books they produce. Me too. Uh, yeah. They, they're beautiful. I just got one yesterday. Unlike the past where the publishers would put up all the money for the publishing of a book, photographers, you know, are involved in having to put together a good amount of funds in order to make this happen. So detailed for us, you know, what, what's involved in you being able to do this to, to see that this book gets published? So I have to um, basically pay out of po- pocket for the printing and the design, because like you said, the publisher, it's kind of risky, a risky market. And me being like a new, you know, a, a photographer that's not famous, <laughs> basically, they're, they're not going to put up all the money uh, for it. So I decided to go the Kickstarter route and basically do pre-orders of the book through a Kickstarter that's happening right now. I, I think that's really great. It's a, it's a good marketing technique and it gets people excited and they can buy the physical book through the Kickstarter. And how long do you have to, to do this? What's the window that you, is it about a month, two months? What is it? It's 30 days. So a month and it started November uh, 29th. So it'll end December 29th. So what do you do? Because you can you can put up a Kickstarter page, you can put up a video, but what's involved in you getting the word out? What's all the all the other work that you have to put in to, to make sure that you're successful with it? Right. Uh, well, social media is a big part of that. Um, just trying to make people aware and design good social badges to put on Instagram um, that get people interested. I'm at the stage now where the most effective thing has been personal emails to people. Um, Just reaching out personally is really important because I did the whole like email list just blast at the beginning and, Mm -hmm. and that just makes people aware of it. But I think people care more when you reach out directly to them. Did you feel any self-consciousness about doing the direct, the email directly as opposed to doing a blast? Cause it's a very different, different thing. Actually, I, I feel a little more comfortable with uh, the direct emails because it, for the most part, it is people, you know, who are friends and 
acquaintances at least. And, and it's kind of an excuse to catch up with them. I try to, you know, personalize the emails and, and actually like comment on how they've been, you know, what they've been doing and, and ask them questions as well. So I actually like sending emails to just catch up with people. I think what made me more self-conscious was doing the Kickstarter itself and, and putting myself out there on a video and, it feels pretty vulnerable, actually. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've had to learn how how to feel comfortable with the ask, right? You know, because it's just doesn't it doesn't come naturally for me. But I've I've learned that if it's important enough to me, I'll do it. Yeah, you know, and That's it's right. and, and it's and someone made the point that you know there are people out there that want to help you, but you have to ask. Totally. Yeah, and I, I try to put myself in their shoes whenever someone I know does something like this, I'm so excited usually to help them out. And, and I love that you can get the physical book through donating. Uh, because I, I come from the, the film industry where a lot of people are doing Kickstarters to make feature films or something. And that's a little bit less tangible. And you don't know if it or it'll ever come out or be bought by a studio or whatever. Yeah. I think my friends in the film industry are excited that you can you can buy a book through this. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause I immediately, as soon as I found out, I put my money down to help support you. Yes. Thank so you so I'm, much. I, I'm very much excited to, to see the book manifest itself. Um, but as you said, you know, there's just something about a photo book that just is so special because it's the, it's the complete fulfillment of, of an idea. You know, there's just this thought that started in your head and then it, you start doing the work it's it's not fully birthed if it's just sitting on the screen on the computer, even if you're sharing it on your website or through Instagram or something like that. Uh, I don't think it's 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 fully manifested itself until it's something tangible. Um, I've been buying so many books over the last couple of months; <laughs> it's embarrassing. But I love just sitting there and just sort of taking it in. And I, I, I feel like that, uh, that when you see your project, especially you and your dad see that project and you're holding it in your hands, you'll, you'll really see what you've accomplished. What did your dad think when you told him you were going to do, do the book and you were going to go through the publisher to make it happen? Yeah, um, I think I broke the news to him kind of slowly. Like I was just kind of testing the waters and see, seeing what he would think. Because it did happen over a long period of time. Like first I made that sample book and I gave it to him for Christmas and, and I was just kind of like, Hey, my friends, I've showed this to my friends and they seem to really connect with it. And I tried to tell him why people connect with it. And he understood like just how it, this project has brought us closer together. And, and he feels that as well. And so, yeah, he understands why people would want to buy this book and he's excited for me. He actually um, has some experience with submitting to publishers as well, because he is a brain teaser enthusiast and has written a brain, a book of brain teasers. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So he has kind of explored this route of, of submitting. So he act actually had a lot of questions about how I'll be, how I would pursue it. And he wanted to know about the contract and everything. And <laughs> yeah, he surprised me with how excited he is. Tell us about your interaction with the publisher. How has that been for you? 
It's been really good. They they really liked the idea and thought it would make a good kind of small book. It'll be an eight eight by eight book, which is not like super small, um, but it's yeah. I think it's a good size. They liked how the sequencing kind of was already in place, and they they agree that it should stay kind of a simple book, like like the sample I made. So really, they're just helping me with like placement of the photographs, and we're doing some full bleeds here and there, but not, yeah, not every page, obviously. But um, I really have liked their ideas so far. And I think they're, they're actually sending me some proof prints right now to look at. So what's your hope for the, for the book? Getting it printed, getting it published is, is, is wonderful. But is there any sort of big hope that you have for, for the book once it's out? Um, I don't know if my aspirations are like that far, you know, that huge, but I, I really just want to get the word out and, and sell all the copies that I have and hopefully do some, like, maybe, you know, by the time the spring comes around, maybe I can do like some sort of in-person book signing if it has to be outside that I think that would be really cool um, as well. And just having a book is going to be really special and exciting for me. Yeah, and having it be just a physical manifestation of your relationship with your father, I think, makes it all the more special. Yeah, and I think the best part is is people's reactions to it and how I think it's inspired some people to try and do something like this with their parents or family members. And I just, I really appreciate how much people can relate to it. Um, so that conversation is is really awesome. Yeah. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? In the last couple of years, I discovered Jennifer McClure. And she's a um, mostly self-portrait photographer. And I actually got to take a class with her a, a month ago. Just a, it was a self-portraiture class specifically. I, I was so excited because I already loved her work and felt like I wanted to start, you know, I was exploring self-portraiture and just the narratives in her photo series I really connected with. Like she has a series, they're all very personal. She has um, an older series that was about being single, kind of exploring why she was single and then later, once she wasn't single, um, she got pregnant at kind of a, a later age for getting pregnant, usually. And she was exploring all the fears that came with that. And some of her photos were very, like, abstract and of parts of her body. And I just thought they were so beautiful. So, Jennifer oh, McClure. Good. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And, and best of luck with the book. Thanks so much for having me. I guess I should say the Kickstarter is happening now. So conversations with dad um, and you can follow me at CL Dorthen. Yeah. And I have links for all of that in the, in the show notes. So. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks to Carissa for joining us. Find out more about Carissa and her work by visiting carissadorson.com. And please consider supporting her Kickstarter effort. You'll find links for this in the show notes and on our website. This year, I'll be involved with Photonola, which is an annual celebration of photography in New Orleans. Produced by the New Orleans Photo Alliance in partnership with museums, 
galleries and alternative venues citywide. The 15th annual Photo Nola Festival is going to look a little bit different this year with a hybrid of online and physical elements. It will take place from December 9th through 12th with broad-ranging photography exhibitions on display both virtually and socially distanced throughout the winter season. The lineup includes virtual portfolio reviews, workshops, lectures, and more. Many events are free and open to the public. I'll be conducting an online workshop myself, and you can find out more about it all by visiting photonola.org or check out the links in the show notes. If you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have allowed us to grow. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel or our mailing list. On the YouTube channel, I offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners like you, while the mailing list keeps you updated on all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or make a one-time or recurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Philip Chusset, Stephanie Haig, and Gene Rode for their recent contributions. We also provide a series of ebooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge with you in another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.